0: Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, with a very special show for you. Today, I am joined by John Ryan, teenage travel hacker extraordinaire, and uh, perhaps the youngest contributor in all of the miles and Point space, contributor to MTM as well. And uh, you're in the Diamond Group and in our Facebook group all over Twitter. You also live in Las Vegas. Welcome, John. Good to have you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I'm excited to uh, to have a conversation with you because... You're sort of like a teenage phenom when it comes to this. And I'm really interested to learn more about your backstory. And you also know a lot about Miles and Points. So I think we can get some good info from you throughout the show. But uh, just a little background on you with Miles to Memories. I think it was a couple years ago that we came across you on Twitter talking about Las Vegas and stuff, right?
1: Yeah, so I remember seeing Mark posted, he had posted about having a potential podcast guest on the vegas show and then from there yeah, it's, i guess it's history from then and i've been do, writing some articles about travels like to the middle east europe um to some domestic travel as well and yeah it's been great to be part of the team
0: yeah that's right the first thing we did was what a live stream with you and your dad yeah uh, and mark <laughs> and i yeah because we uh, we were nervous we didn't want to do it with just you because we wanted to make sure your parents were on board and uh, we'll talk yeah. about your parents uh, through this because I think your parents are awesome in the way that they support your, your hobby and
1: your interests. Definitely.
0: <laughs> all right. So yeah, we, we
1: connected there.
0: It's funny because you have a love of Las Vegas, very similar to mine, especially to the way I loved Las Vegas when I was younger. And so we have that in common on the Las Vegas side, but we're, this is the Miles to Memories podcast. So we'll, we'll talk more about miles and points and you know, favorite programs and all kinds of stuff how you love to get on the phone and talk to people. It's so funny to me, John, because you love the phone so much. You're always on the phone calling people and you've even offered to make phone calls for me. You're like, do you need me to call for you? Like, I
1: think that's (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. I don't, it's weird. Like I've learned like over the, like, especially like this past year, like I've learned that the chat, the chat agents on like, especially like Delta Delta is like the big one there. The phone agents are so much like more helpful, I guess, like than the chat agents, like the chat agents I remember on Delta trying to explain what they literally didn't know what a schedule change was. I'm like, um, you work for an airline, (laughs) like, what do you, how do you not know what a schedule change is?
0: Admittedly. And people who listen to the podcast often know that I avoid the phone like the plague. And that sometimes bites me in the butt. So it's good to actually have that skill and to have that like willingness to do it. And you're right. There's just times you can get so much more accomplished quickly by talking to somebody compared to like chatting with them or, or trying to do it online. And uh, sometimes that gets frustrating. So calling is probably one of the better skills a travel hacker
1: can have. Yeah. And I think also too, like, it's like, if you need something urgently done, like the, the phone call like or the chatting, I mean, chatting it's like the you just you, there's a lot of just wasted time of like them looking up stuff you going back and forth but with the phone it's like you're there they have to get it done like as soon as possible so it's yeah it's definitely a lot faster i think especially for airlines
0: now i wanted to kind of start by asking how you got into miles and points and when you started kind of collecting them and i know that one interesting thing here is you obviously are 15. And you started this even younger than that. So a lot of your stuff is done through your parents with their permission and sort of helping your parents out to accumulate the right things. But what's really funny is that a lot of the travel you plan, right? I mean, you kind of help pick destinations, figure out hotels, figure out what points and cards your parents need, and they're sort of on board for all of that.
1: Yeah, basically the first 12 years of my life, I was, like, my parents always did, like, Priceline or Hotwire. Like, I remember my my mom telling me, like, in San Diego, there's times when my dad would do, like, the Priceline, name your price stuff. And you would get rooms for, like, $9 a night in, like, Hotel Circle and stuff like that. So that's how my parents originally started. And then when I was 12, I kind of discovered, like, we had some issues with Hotwire. Like, we're, like... we. Booked the booked hotels for the wrong date. And that kind of, since they're all non-refundable, you're, you're kind of out of luck. But, um, since then I've started to like, get into like Hilton. And that was when I was 12 when I got into that. So I think, yeah, ever since then, I've been always like into the loyalty programs. What was the first elite status that you, I
0: guess, acquired for yourself or your parents? the way you experienced that for the first time.
1: If you count Southwest companion pass, my dad had that when he, when I was seven, but the first status, I guess that, so my dad and I shared the same name, which is really helpful because it means that I can get like for casino statuses. It's basically my dad's name, but also mine kinda sorta <laughs> the first, yeah. The first like elite status we had was probably Hilton silver status, which doesn't get you that much, but it's, I guess, elite status for sure.
0: <laughs> it, it's fun though, right? When you've yeah. never had status and. Especially in like hotels, I remember, uh, and I'm doing a. This is going to come out after that, but I'm recording later today a show with my wife, and I, I remember our first trip uh, to Hawaii, and she'd always wanted to go to Hawaii, and you know had enough miles and points to do it. And back then, for the World of Hyatt, or actually before World of Hyatt, the the previous program, you could match to diamond status, and you didn't need any qualifications or anything. It was sort of a challenge actually, but they gave you the status during the challenge. So. I matched right before we went to Hawaii and we got basically the equivalent of modern globalist benefits. They didn't give you room upgrades to suites back then, but they had a welcome amenity, treated you really well. Even like special lays for, for top tier elites at that property, the Hyatt Regency Maui. So it was like, we were a million dollars, like, you know, walking in, never having status before and, you know, getting treated or at least never having top tier status before and getting treated like royalty there. And, uh, you know, here I am, what, eight years, nine years later, still chasing that Hyatt globalist top tier status. But it is cool, that first status, that first kind of realization that you can shortcut some things and get a lot better travel for less, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And like, I feel like, like when, what I really realized what, how good like elite status is, was when I left the country for the first time. Like, I remember, I guess this was last summer. But I remember, like, in the US, you're, if you get, if you get a sweet upgrade as a Hilton diamond, that's pretty good. Like, that's pretty hard to get. But internationally, it's like, you realize like, wow, they really do treat you well compared to um, domestically, especially Southeast Asia.
0: Yeah, you get treated really, really well. All throughout Asia, even in Europe, I've had really good experiences with Hilton, even Hilton Gold back in the day, getting upgraded to club rooms and, you know, getting much better service, I guess, than you would probably get at a Hilton here. So I think elite status is definitely one of those double edged swords, right? There's a lot of people in the hobby who pursue it, who probably shouldn't, you know, they pursue nights. We saw that a lot this year with people doing MGM nights right in Las Vegas to get global status because they didn't have enough stays or spending a ton of money on the Hyatt credit card, even though that's not the best return, but they still feel like they they need it. But people do pursue status sometimes maybe when they shouldn't, but there's a lot of ways to like jump ahead in the line in status where you don't have to do much. You know, right now I'm mourning the loss of my frontier status, you know, that I've had for the last two years just from status matching and paying $49. And I've saved thousands of dollars in flights and stuff like that. So finding those ways to get elite status while also limiting the ways that you actually spend your money and your time, you know, chasing it are prob- is probably, it's the, probably the sweet
1: spot, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, like, as you mentioned with global status, it's like, I remember hearing people that spent like, like, I, like just the amount of nights was just absurd, like 40 something nights, um like in different Vegas hotels, like um, of booking at Vegas hotels. It's like if you're spending all that money to get it, do you really need it? Like it might be cheaper for the stays that you use it for to just buy, like to pay for breakfast, pay for the extra points or cash for the upgrade, like that kind of stuff. But that's just me. <laughs> no, I, I
0: totally agree with you. I think I, I finished the year with 77 Hyatt nights on paper, right? And then I got what, five from the credit card and another 11, no, another six through spend. So I got 11 total from the credit card. So I spent over 60 nights in beds. I feel like that's enough, a lot of value that I got out of the status, but there's people to your point who are spending 15 nights and then they're getting the rest of the nights through spend on the credit card and through doing like MGM stays that they're not really needing those rooms and stuff. So yeah, it's definitely an important thing. And as you get into the hobby and you get more obsessed with status, because it gets hard, right? When you have top tier status or you have a good status, when you're traveling without it, you definitely miss it. You feel, well, you know, it's yeah. a little sad, right?
1: Uh-huh. Definitely. Like it's, yeah, it's, so I've we've had Hilton Diamond status ever since COVID. And like, it's overall, like, I feel it's hard to say like, well, when wouldn't eventually, because I'm not sure if we'll pursue it for 2023. So it's like, when I think about it, will I miss it or not? Like, it's like, well, I probably won't miss it that much domestically because it's like, all you get these days is like a breakfast credit and that's about it. But internationally it'll be like, wow, it will, it, it'll be hard to, as you said, it'll, you'll miss it a lot.
0: Yeah. That's why I just uh, upgraded one of my surpass cards back to the aspire. Cause I didn't, I spent 30 nights in Hilton's this year, which is the most I've ever spent in Hilton's. Wow. And just cause I'm traveling so much and, you know, semi-nomadic at this point. So I feel like it's worth having the diamond status, but obviously not worth pursuing it to qualify normally. So I just upgraded a surpass to aspire right before the end of the year, and that gave me that two hundred and fifty dollar travel credit or incidental credit for last year, and then I can get it again this year. The hope is it used to be when you upgraded a surpass to an aspire that you got the free night as well before the renewal date, so you got it when you upgrade, and then you get another free night when the annual fee comes due. And my annual fee is going to come due like in March, so the hope would be that I get the two hundred fifty dollar credit in twenty twenty two again in twenty twenty three and then the annual fee hits and then i i don't know if i'll keep it or not i might just keep it for the year but the point is that there's still value in that aspire card and i'm glad that they have it because i do like as you said that hilton international treatment is pretty good for diamonds.
1: yeah and like yeah my mom has one of those aspire cards as well like yeah i mean it's just i guess there's a couple of those cards out there but like I feel like, like the platinum card i guess is also it's kind of, people call it a coupon book which it kind of is i guess but like i feel like the hilton aspire card not only pays you but it actually has like really useful benefits for travel like it has the airline credit which can be like for a united travel bank you could use it for that the, there's like a trick with southwest like it does have some like actual like on paper really good perks for um for people who travel
0: yeah with all of the no lifetime language targeted offers for platinum cards this year and then like just the Aspire and my dad has an Aspire card. My United travel bank balance is getting scary big at this point. I got to find some United flights to, uh, to figure out how to burn this. But I'm glad that that works. And I'm glad that it's been something that's continued to work. And I know that, like you said, there's other airlines and ways you can do it. And of course, you can still spend those incidentals the way that they're probably intended for seats and things like that. But always nice to be able to kind of combine all of my different credits from cards into that travel bank. And then I don't know, maybe I'll use it for Japan definitely use it for for something interesting, maybe Hawaii something like that but I have uh several thousand dollars now in travel bank credit, which is crazy
1: yeah, just don't procrastinate like um like you mentioned in the past and like it I think it expires in five years so like you'll wait until like four and a half years in that won't be good but like yeah those those incidental credits those really saved my mom and i over the summertime because it was we we're supposed to go from uh, bangkok to san francisco and we were supposed to stop in like tokyo Haneda. we had a 17-hour layover like that's what we had booked in the hopes that japan would open up which it never it, it it is now, but it, it wasn't in, back in July. So I convinced a United agent to change it to Narita, so we'd have a shorter layover, and that meant that we wouldn't like the, the flight was full at that point, and there's only like those preferred seats left. So that I think it was we had like 80 bucks left, and it was 70 for the seats. so that totally saved us. Like sometimes those there's like actually a good use for it, other than just like using the travel bank or.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Actually use the stuff as it's intended. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, it's true. Because in this hobby, you get so caught up in trying to maximize everything and, you know, take advantage of, you know, this little trick or this little hack. And sometimes it's just best to use it for what you need it for. And uh, yeah, that's absolutely good. I, I, you know, speaking of procrastination, you got my number. I was spending the end of the last year, like on the 30th, going through all my FHR credits, trying to book stays. And it's always a grind. I do not plan to procrastinate on the travel bank. I may actually use it for Japan this year. Uh, unlike probably a lot of people out there, I'm willing to fly economy to Japan when I'm flying with my family. I've done it before a couple of times. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the funnest thing in the world, but if I can redeem some of that for some cash tickets to Japan, I'll probably do that business class probably would be a little bit too expensive on cash. So I don't know, but uh, I, I, I got some good uses. And I always, like I said, Hawaii is easy. and Maybe I can just do a Hawaii trip a year to make sure I'm continually using that and not have to worry about the the price. If the prices are high, oh well, I'm just burning travel bank credit.
1: Yeah, and also, too, like, I was pretty impressed by United's, like, Mexico network from Houston. And I know your wife's, like, from, I think, Acapulco, you said, right? So you could yeah. potentially, like, visit that area. Like, there's, yeah, United definitely does have a lot of great uses. Like, there's cheap flights to, like, Bogota, Colombia. There's a bunch of places where you could definitely use those, like, other than Japan. and
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, anywhere United flies, which they have yeah. such an extensive network. I wish
1: that it was open to Star Alliance partners. Then it would really be yeah. fun. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah it You can't bad. fly A and A, but because A and A <laughs> would be awesome to Japan. But like even in economy, because I thought it was great for sure. Yeah,
0: for sure. All right, let's pivot a little bit. What's your favorite hotel loyalty program right now? The one that you find that you're you know pursuing and you're spending
1: the most time with? It's Hyatt, but I don't. It's not really globalist because it's just the Sixty Night thing is just hard for my parents and I. Just because it like it's just more about Hyatt's footprint, I guess because they're they're not in every city like Hilton is for the most part. So I think like Hyatt's kind of my focus also because um, with Hilton, Marriott, IHG, they all have like a state or a government discount rate. But then Hyatt has it as well, yet they don't have wording in it that says, like, you have to be, like, have official government travel. So that's meant, like, my mom and I, for example, like, next summer we have a cruise out of Miami. The cash price for the Hyatt Regency is, like, 400 and something bucks, or the best flexible prices. The um the state government rate's, like, 130. So it's it's just worth pursuing it just for that reason, I think. But, um like, I know we don't get the same benefits with, with Hilton, like, the breakfast, I guess the uh $15 credit those can be helpful at times but i think even so hyatt's got to, got a lot to offer and i just got like my travel agent certification or i add a number so that's meant that we could i could book travel for myself and then get those perks so i think it, overall we're kind of covered for hyatt so i think yeah that, that's probably the program that i'm that i'm most focused in uh going after
0: it's so funny Yeah, i forgot to mention that you're a travel agent as well now such an overachiever uh I mean, how how difficult was the process of becoming a travel agent and getting your
1: certification? I was expecting it to be like hard, but it really, so there's this site called Fora that they, it's basically, they kind of advertise the idea that you can kind of do travel agent as like a side job. So it was, it basically, I signed up for the, the wait list in March and then I finally got an email last month about like, would you like to join? And it was like 40 bucks for the, um, for the quarter. And I've already made like 60, just rebooking travel for myself, rebooking it for like for my family. So I think overall, like it, it's definitely, if you can sign up for it, it's probably a no brainer just cause of the commissions that you get even for booking for yourself. I think so.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting perspective. And then you get travel agent rates and yeah. other perks along the way too. What about on the airline side? Are there any airline loyalty programs that you pursue? What are your favorites there?
1: It's not, I guess it's, It's. I guess we're more kind of free agents on that side because it, it's hard being, I guess for, since we're, since like, since we're in, live in Vegas, it's hard to, there's no like dominant airline, like Southwest is one, but they don't really have that great of like an international network. So I think it's, yeah, it's kind of more just like what airline has the cheapest flights, that's what we will kind of fly, but I guess Delta was previously the airline that we like shifted toward, or we were like more loyal towards just because they had, since my grandparents live outside of Savannah, it's pretty convenient to be able to just stop in Atlanta and then have like a 50 minute flight. So I think, yeah, Delta has got to be, I guess the closest thing to that, but with their program being as it is, like the SkyMiles program being as it is, it's, eh, it's, it's not that great.
0: Yeah. I mean, Vegas is an interesting city, right? Cause you don't have any of the major airlines with big hubs here. And so if you're flying American Delta United, you're connecting through one of their hub cities usually. And we also have this glut of economy airlines, low cost carriers. Spirit has a huge network here. Frontier has a huge network here. Allegiant is based here and they have a huge network. So yeah, it makes sense. I I found myself obviously being a free agent more uh, being here. And then of course, RIP my frontier status. I don't really know what I'm gonna do because I had so many cheap like $30 trends, you know, con flights down to Florida where I won't get that anymore. Although the good thing is when I lost my status, uh, when you have that status, you get a free discount Den membership. And since it had been more than a year be- since I had signed up for that on December 31st, I went in there and I was able to re-up that for a year. So at least I got a free discount then membership if I want to fly Frontier. But yeah, it's not always easy utilizing those major programs from Las Vegas, evidenced by the fact that I have tons of AA miles that I've been trying to burn forever. And I do when it comes, you know, when it's handy and stuff, but I think shopping by price is pretty good, and having that uh, that as an ability. Uh, you and I flew Allegiant. I think it was your first time on Allegiant, right? Uh, about what a month or two ago.
1: This was my third time, I think. Yeah, because we flew them. We flew them once, like a couple years ago, to Boise to go see like Yellowstone in that area, and then we, my mom and I, flew during COVID and them another time from Vegas to Omaha. It was just a weird midwestern road trip that I guess with COVID restrictions being as they were a couple years ago, that was like a good place to explore and. Knock off a few states.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so you you were you out hacked me on the on the Allegiant flight. I mean, to be to be fair to myself, I wasn't trying to hack anything. Traveling by myself, I do not want to be stuck in 29 inch legroom. I'm six foot two. I'm a big guy. I it's just it's just not fun. So we had this uh, flight from Austin to Las Vegas, and coincidentally, we were on the same flight. uh, And this was following a MTM Diamond meetup. And uh, so I paid for like 20 bucks. It wasn't very much for the exit row aisle so that I had enough leg room and that factored into my, you know, the price of the ticket was dirt cheap. So it all was pretty cheap for me, but your, your desire to hack everything kind of shown through. And so you refused to check in, refused to check in knowing how they fill the seats and uh, everybody checked in, everybody got the bad seats towards the back. Here you come check in with you and your dad. Get the exit row right next to me literally the two seats the middle seat and the window seat next to me i've no free clue while that i happened. paid for it <laughs> it was crazy like,
1: yeah out of 180 something seats or whatever 150 seats i was like how did that happen <laughs> it's it's interesting though with the with allegiant that they did give us the exit row i think because um on frontier i remember my dad and I, my parents and i flew them to from vegas to san francisco in october and they just let the middle the exit row go empty And it was, it's for like a a frontier trip that we have coming up, the check-in, like we booked it at the airport because it's a lot cheaper and the, the ticket counter agent told us that it's basically like 60 bucks flat or not 60 bucks flat, but it just remains static at 60 bucks. While with Spirit, I know for their exit row, it goes like for my dad recently, it went down when it got closer to check-in in price. So kind of interesting with that.
0: Yeah. Variable pricing is interesting, especially with Spirit. Now, if you try to do it same day, usually it, it, they jack up the price. Like when you're checking in, the prices of the seats tend to be more. But yeah, they they base their prices on demand. So as the seats fill up, so if you're like when you're booking months out, maybe the price is a little bit higher because a couple people early on big booked a premium seat or something. And then a week before the flight, maybe they're going to lower the prices to try to fill those up because it's lost revenue for them. So, but yeah, you're always uh, kind of having an angle on everything. Do you do that often when you're checking in for flights, where you strategically choose when to check in and, and stuff like that?
1: So, I guess for the um, for the mainline airlines like um, Delta, American, those ones we just I usually just try to check in 24 hours out because I I've I don't know how true this is, but I've heard in the past that like for airlines they basically assign you a like a a number, so you're like. First to check in, second to check in, so that means when they go to, if the flight's full and they decide that they need to bump people, the people that checked in last, they'll be the ones that'll be bumped first. So for, other than for Spirit and Frontier and um, Allegiant, it's, there's probably a benefit to be checking in as soon as you can, but but I guess it's probably not as much of an issue now because they also focus on elite status and other factors like that, but it might be worth looking into, I guess.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be that person uh, on any of the airlines who's not checked in, who gets put on to standby when they when they fill up the flights, especially if you're traveling during busier times. And yeah, don't have that yet. And I think it's a little different too with them because you can usually select seats for free with those airlines, so you can at least choose your kind of position, make sure you get an aisle, and you know it's better to do that ahead of time. Whereas with the budget airlines, unless you're paying, you're not going to get a seat assigned until check in. And, uh, it works a little bit different with that. I did want to, I don't want to focus too much on your age. Cause I really want to emphasize to people out there that you punch above your age. You're, you probably have as much knowledge as anybody when it comes to all of this stuff. But I think you also have a unique perspective in that you are so young and it kind of gives you a different way, maybe a fresh way of looking at that. What do you think, you know, you've started traveling a lot more internationally and you've taken a lot of big trips. What do you think are the benefits of traveling while you're young you know, while you're a kid, seeing the world as you're growing up?
1: I think um, you and your wife like had this, like, had a similar mentality, but it, yeah, like, I think it's just overall, it's good to see the world when you're young, because it's, like, I remember you were saying that you didn't really care if you just slept on, like, an air mattress, but, like, well, when you're, like, um, 40, 50, 60, you get kind of worn out faster, like, I've kind of seen, like, my mom In the past, she was, she was totally fine with going to Europe on like a 20 day trip. But this last summer after like, after doing a lot of walking, which if you go to Europe, you're definitely, if you want to see the, see the continent well, you're definitely going to want to do like walking from like around the city and stuff like that. And she's kind of, I I don't want to use the word slow down, but like she's just, I guess she gets kind of like tired faster and it's, it's just, it's more exhausting than it was when she was like 30, like that's how she saw Europe and it's now she's she was kind of saying to me after the last trip like i'm not sure if i can do this again so it's yeah there's definitely that benefit
0: yeah i mean it's it's interesting and this is something i preach all the time i hate the american sort of ideal that i'm going to work hard and then i'm going to travel when i retire and it's great to travel when you retire it's great to travel when you're old it's great to travel at every age but when you visit a place in your 15 or your 25 or your 35 or 45 or 55 or 75 it's going to be a different experience. You're going to experience it in a different way. You're going to be a different person. Your interests are going to be different. The things that you like to do, your energy levels. And so that's why I think it's really cool to, if it's possible for people to revisit places in different periods of their life and having those like baseline memories. I know my son talks a lot about it and he has really fond memories of traveling places when he was really young, your age, things like that. And he's excited to kind of go back He's most likely going to be going to Thailand in the next uh, couple of weeks. And he's been able to go there when he was seven. And then again, when he was like 18 and to kind of go back and maybe establish a relationship with that place over time, it's really interesting. And then to your point, when you're young, you can do a lot more, you can get away with a lot more than when you're older. You know, you don't have to pay the price of uh, your your bones aching and, and things like that. And, you know, when you're older, you probably should be in a nicer place. But when
1: you're young, it's it's okay. I've noticed that when I was like eight or nine, my mom said to me like, where do you want to live? And like, even now, where do you want to live when you're older? And I feel like traveling, it kind of helps you understand like where, where in the world do you want to live? Like in, do you want to, is Cincinnati, Ohio, a good place to live for you? Or is it San Diego, California? Like by traveling, I think you get to see the world and see where, where you want to end up in your life and where you want to work and all that kind of stuff. So I think, yeah, travel definitely has a lot of benefits when you're younger. And then as you said, when when you're retired, you kind of want to settle down, stay in one place. And then when you're younger, that's not as big of an issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Does the travel create a divide between you and maybe the kids you go to school with? I know in some cases when my son was your age, he would hide the fact that he had traveled so much because, you know, either I don't know if he'd get made fun of or it created a division between him and, and his friends who didn't travel nearly as much, but it Ultimately, it's sort of shaped his view of the world in a much broader way, which I think is really good. But do you see a disconnect between your peers and you just because you travel so much more? And uh, a lot of people just stay close to home?
1: Yeah, like I think overall, like in school, I feel like a lot of kids are like into video games, stuff like that, like sports. And there's nothing wrong with that, I think. But I think like for me personally, travel is like my number one hobby. So I think people can't, it's hard for people to relate to that. Like people are like cool and they kind of just shrug it off, but that's like, that's the extent of it. And otherwise they don't pay attention to it, I guess. <laughs> we'll,
0: um, we'll make sure to distribute this podcast to uh, your entire high school. So they know who you are, give you some street cred for that. They'll, they'll all be booking their future travel. Once they become adults, they'll call you up as a travel agent, book all their travel forms. So you yeah, got a built-in audience. Yeah. <laughs> Building that business now. So how does it work with your parents? Let's say, do they determine where you go or at this point are you sort of really driving the train as far as finding destinations and putting together a trip?
1: I guess it's a mixture of both both things like it's like there's some trips like uh my mom and I also sometimes go to like we'll usually have like a During the summertime, usually, like, my family will rent a a house or rent, like, a condo for a week in, like, Amelia Island, which is, like, outside of Jacksonville. There's, like, a Ritz-Carlton there, some stuff like that. So I think, like, for those trips, my parents or my mom will say, like, since it's usually my uncle who decides, my mom will say, look for, like, flights for these days. And then there's also other trips, like, say, to go to Israel over spring break. Those are the trips where, like, I'm more in control. So I guess it's kind of a mixture of both things.
0: And on the earning side, how do you guys earn your points or how how are you making sure that you have the miles and points for the trips that you guys wanna do?
1: So I guess for that, it's more, my mom my mom and I guess it's more so my mom's not she's she's had the platinum card and then like the Hilton Aspire card so those are like I think she she kind of wants to keep like a three like a three credit card limit I guess so it's uh so it's more I guess it's more my dad who drives like the earnings since he owns a business it's it's easier for him to rack up points and stuff like that so he, yeah I think overall it's more my dad that earns the points but I guess I've also like just through stays and stuff like that that's helped out a lot with points like staying at Hilton's and Hyatt's and that kind of stuff.
0: Are you waiting for your 18th birthday? Are you excited for that where you can get your own credit cards and really like drive the ship on your own earnings? And are you going to have a three card limit or are you going to be one of those people with like 60 cards?
1: It's a good question. Like, I'm not really sure yet, but I think, yeah, I'll probably be on the more on the 60 card spectrum. (laughs)
0: Like all the good travel hackers. I don't know if I have 60, but I have more than I can count. So let's put it that way. So I guess that's, that's the good uh, measure of, of what you're doing. When you're searching for trips, what tools are you using? Or do you just go to the individual programs? Are you using any of the search aggregators? How has that evolved for you over the years? And what are you
1: doing right now with that? Like, I guess usually my starting tool is going to be Google Flights, just because I like my favorite way of searching that stuff is like, I think you can do up to like five airports for the origin. So you could do like Las Vegas, LA, San Francisco, um, San Diego, San Jose, places like that. And then you just can do it to like a region. So you could just do like those places to Europe and then you could do like flexible for six months, for a weekend trip, for a week trip a 2 week trip and then you can also pick specific months you want to go. So I think yeah, overall Google Flights is definitely my favorite tool for finding places to go. And then also I've like I did like the point.me like dollar a month trial and I like that that tool's great too. It's just it's definitely a bit slow, but it's it's helpful cuz otherwise there's not really any great alternative other than like searching each individual airline site.
0: I agree with you 100%. Google Flights is a godsend and it's the first place I go when searching things to get an idea of prices. Cause you know, it's good to have miles and points, but there's sometimes that the miles and points cost is prohibitive compared to the cash cost, where it's just cheap to do it. It's one of the reasons I've taken so many frontier flights, right? Uh, because, you know, I can fly to Orlando for $30. I'm not gonna go redeem like 13,000 know, miles or 12,000, whatever it's gonna be, or 20,000. Heck, sometimes with the way these variable awards are now to fly across the country, is crazy.
1: Yeah. Like for an upcoming uh, diamond meetup, there's the miles cost was, I think it was like 60,000 miles each. I'm like, that's just insane. Like um, it was across the country, but I'm like, we're not paying that. And in the end, I think we got, um, we booked it yesterday for like 130 bucks round trip on Frontier. Like it was, Frontier can be a lifesaver in some of those cases. Yeah, ab-
0: absolutely. I was sad. I wasn't able to book for like our Memphis meetup with Frontier before my status expired because I don't know where I'll be going from. I should have probably booked the speculative one from Las Vegas, but I didn't. I did book a couple other ones uh, because the good thing about the frontier status is you get the works bundle included when you book. So I get all the perks when I'm booking. So even though I don't have the status when I fly, I'll still already have the seats and the free bags and all of that. So I did lock in a a few of those, but yeah, it's it's interesting uh, with that. All right, so you're young. And so I think younger people now use social media in a vastly different way than older people, right? I mean, most older people and a lot of people in this hobby are on Facebook and that's a big part of this hobby, a big part of the communities, Facebook groups like ours, premium Facebook and Slack groups like our Diamond Lounge, which is just really amazing. But there's a whole kind of ecosystem of travel hackers, miles and points people on other social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram. Do you follow that whole world or Are you kind of stuck with us old people?
1: I guess I'm more stuck with like the old people side. I think that's the whole like TikTok and Instagram thing. That's one of the issues with the travel industry today. Like there's, I've seen... Like, I haven't, I've heard of videos, I guess, more than anything, of people talking about, like, platinum cards and how they get you into Centurion lounges and stuff like that. And I think that's the issue with, with a lot of those, like, priority pass Centurion lounges is it's, like, it used to be, like, a great place to escape, like, the hustle and bustle of the airport. And now it's just become, like, an all-you-can-eat buffet, all-you-can-drink kind of place. And I think that's kind of caused a, a overall, like, decline in the travel environment. There's not as good behavior, stuff like that.
0: It's a good point. I mean, the virality of stuff has really changed with the emergence of TikTok and Instagram sort of following suit with this short form video and people will share things. And I I think a whole other generation is kind of being opened up to things like, to your point, airport lounges and other things that only maybe a select group from previous generations would have ever even discovered or knew existed. And you saw that at a time where like American Express also pivoted who they target, right? They went from really uh, targeting affluent people to trying to get more everyday people and they've been successful with that with their platinum product and that's evidenced by the lines you see everywhere and yeah the the travel experience probably is diminished by social media because it was our good secret that we kept for a long time and it's kind of out there and yeah yeah, and then people want to to your point get get all the free drinks they want to kind of live it up and so you don't even have that relaxing sort of environment that you used to.
1: Yeah, and then also too the um the with the platinum card having the Walmart Plus uh, membership like that that really showed like Amex is target they're trying to target the like the younger and more everyday consumer versus like the affluent richer consumer.
0: Yeah, and they just came out I think in the last couple of weeks talking about that and how well it's done for them and uh, they've certainly been able to be very successful through the pandemic. We still question some of these crazy sign up bonuses, these targeted offers but American Express keeps doing very well. So whatever their strategy is and their wider strategy seems to have worked, but yeah, the, 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 the landscape's changed for sure. And do you think that that's gonna be challenging to the travel hacking hobby, to the miles and points hobby, getting wider exposure, the virality of videos, so little travel hacks, little things that we took advantage of, now going wide to millions and millions of people that may cause things to change in the wrong direction?
1: I definitely think so. Like, cause I feel like that's why it's kind of, especially like it was really true last summer, d- trying to get business class to Europe, for example, I think a lot of people accumulated like millions and millions of miles during COVID. So that's meant that it's, it was harder for miles and points hackers to like use their normal, like sweet spots. Like say, um, get Lufthansa first class two weeks out. Like the, the plane might've been full at that point, like stuff like that. It's definitely going to change stuff in the negative way, I think.
0: Yeah. And. Younger generations just are more open to to that stuff. I think they're also more used to loyalty programs and kind of navigating them and they kind of grew up with them. Right. I mean, loyalty programs have come into their own in the last 10, 20 years. And now everywhere you go, there's a loyalty program and there's rules that you have to learn and there's elite statuses and there's all this stuff. And I think more people now are just used to that. They're used to the idea. Maybe they're not as serious about it as us where we're trying to pay for the majority of our travel or we're trying to get millions of miles and points, but they are aware of the ecosystem. They're aware that they can get a card and get some free travel and more people, it seems like are doing that compared to what was happening, you know, 10 years or so. And there's only so much inventory. There's only so many airport lounges. There's only so much stuff. So I feel like it's going to put downward pressure on some of that stuff. And then some of the deals that we come across Some of the sweet spots, they'll probably die quicker because you're going to get greater exposure. Uh, You know, people used to complain about blogs, writing about stuff. Don't put it on the blogs. Oh, you bloggers are terrible for sharing deals. The reach of blogs is, you know, a fraction of what it is on the social media platforms, unless you're the biggest of sites like the points guy or something. Blogs don't reach nearly the amount of people. Anybody can make a TikTok and have it go viral and get millions and millions and millions of views. That's very different than in the past.
1: Definitely, and like as you mentioned, like with the whole tick tock thing, there's I think there's a lot of people that are interested in flying like Emirates First Class, like that went so viral. I think that's probably that shows right there. Like, that was I think kind of the beginning of where people really took advantage of miles and points. Because I think the Emirates First Class becoming pop- popular, I think a lot of people realize that and they're like, I have miles to use, so might as well use them for. popular product. And then just this week, it got significantly um, devalued. So I think, yeah, you're definitely right about that.
0: Yeah, it's a changing world. And I think uh, for people in the miles and points hobby, it's going to continue to change. Although there are some really good creators on TikTok and Instagram, putting out really good information. There are a ton of people who do not know what they're talking about. So you got to take like advice with a grain of salt. I guess it's the same thing in the blogosphere. But I feel like you just get greater exposure to more people. And there's just people who signed up for their first Chase Sapphire Preferred card, and now they're experts on travel hacking. That can be a little frustrating for somebody like me who's been doing this for 15 years, but it also brings a fresh energy, and there are some really good creators who know what they're doing, and so it's an interesting kind of world that I tap into a little bit, although like you, I'm kind of caught with all the oldies like myself on uh, Facebook and Twitter uh, most of the time. I, I do love my Twitter Twitter for miles and points is a great place to be. There's a lot of good people, knowledgeable people, good discussions that happen there. And do you agree? I mean, I see you're on Twitter quite often.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's in both platforms for sure. Yeah, there's definitely some great discussions that go on. And there's a lot of interesting people, as you said, that bring up great points and stuff like that for sure. All
0: right, so let's let's close this out by giving people some inspiration. What is your favorite hotel that you've ever stayed in?
1: So I know... There's, I haven't stayed at overall like that many luxury hotels, like I've spent a lot of time staying at like Hampton Inns, hotels like that, but I think, yeah, internationally, I think it has to be the Park High at Bangkok, like nothing to me compared to that, like it was the, when I remember like we checked in, when the front desk agent escorted us to our room, and then like 15 minutes later, we came back downstairs, and they're like, hello Mr. and Mrs. Ryan, I was like, wow, like that's, uh, we went to breakfast the next morning, she the lady was like oh you need to try like thai food and and like stuff that we otherwise hadn't wouldn't have considered trying and the next morning she asked us and recommended some dishes like it's it, the service there was impeccable i thought
0: that's interesting cuz that hotel is one i've heard mixed things about from hyatt people the rooms there look a little strange i think a lot yeah. of people complain cuz it's just mo- much more expensive there's a new hyatt regency there the grand hyatt has been there for a while i stayed at both of those uh, but I think people complain just because the park Hyatt's a lot more expensive, but it sounds like they're delivering on the service side,
1: yeah. I've heard of a lot of a lot of people say like there's better hotels in Bangkok, which I'm sure there is. like there's always better hotels that like that are, might be independent that like, again, I think that's the thing is it's not always great to stay at Hyatt or Hilton hotels. It might be good to try like a local brand, which I guess is something that I admit to to not doing. But um, but yeah, I think the the hotels for my mom and I delivered well, and I think, but I think there's also some people that have seen like mixed, have had mixed service experiences, and I've also heard that there's certain rooms on low floors that can be quite noisy, like since the BS train goes right by it. So I think yeah, there's there's some things that can be improved on. But for my mom and I, it was a great hotel.
0: And what is your favorite destination? What what's your favorite place that you've ever visited, and why? And how did miles and points play into that?
1: So I think um. It had to be probably the Hilton Fouquet that was, or the I guess, yeah, the Hilton Phuket and then also just Phuket in general. Because I think the um, the hotel, the Hilton there was just awesome. Like it was, the rooms could have definitely seen, can be improved, I think. Like it was, they're definitely quite old. But for, it was like, I think 65 per night. We got upgraded the day before to a, like a junior with a TV. And then basically breakfast was free. And then um, the executive lunch had good enough food for lunch and dinner that you could basically make a meal out of it. So I think, yeah, that hotel should be probably my favorite in a great destination, I think. And the beaches in Phuket were awesome, I thought. Um, but I'm looking forward to um, next, summer. We're, we're planning on probably staying at the, um, the Grand Hyatt Bali. And for that hotel, Bali's full of great Hyatt sweet spots, I think. like For, for a, st- a standard suite that's, I think, f- 1,500, 1,700 square feet, it's only 8,000 Hyatt points. Like That's pretty awesome. Where else do you get that Like on the sea?
0: Yeah, the Bali is an incredible value destination, especially with Hyatt. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but the original Hyatt in Asia was the Bali Hyatt, uh, which I think opened sometime in the 70s. I stayed there about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago on a solo trip that I did, and it was a Category 1. And I also visited the Grand Hyatt, which was a Category 2 at the time, still is a Category 2. The Bali Hyatt oh, no, closed. I don't think it's a Category
1: 1. They both are Category oh, the Grand ones. Hyatt is? Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. Okay, so it went down. Okay. So the so the Grand Hyatt went down to category 1. That's that's crazy. Uh but back then it was like 5000 points a night. The the Bali Hyatt at the time was very dated, but they had a great club lounge and the property there with the gardens and the beach is amazing. It closed down for about 4 years and then it reopened as the Hyatt Regency Bali, which looks really great. And now they built an Andaz right next to it. And so that's in a different area from where the Grand Hyatt is, but both those areas are cool. And the Grand Hyatt has like you said, the standard suites there are giant. And I've heard they have a really good club lounge. I Back in the time when I stayed at the Bali Hyatt, they ran a free shuttle between them. And so I was able to take the shuttle and spend the entire day. I had free use of the resort property at the Grand Hyatt, swim in the pools, really nice pools and beach there as well. And like, yeah, you can you can stay on Hyatt points in Bali for a long time. And if you have status, then you're talking about club lounge access. The breakfasts were great. I mean, I had such a good time. I, I almost felt guilty being there by myself because I was – on a solo trip and I didn't have my wife and family with me, but it, it's a great destination and an interesting one as well.
1: Yeah. Like it shows Bali is like a great example of like how valuable Hyatt points can be. Cause for, in comparison, the Hilton Bali and then the Conrad Bali, they're like 60,000 points a night. Like that's crazy. <laughs> and then on the other hand, it's like 12 times less the value for the, for the, Hyatt's, And also too, it's not much more for the standard suite, but then for Hilton, it's probably a million something points based on how their program works.
0: That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. The ability to book suites with points in the Hyatt is great, especially when you have very good value properties that are in the lower categories. So now the suites are just not that expensive. And I agree with you that Grand Hyatt is a very sweet spot in that realm because you get the big suite, you get good club access and and everything else with that. So a great value there. I think my takeaway is that you really like Thailand, which I agree is an incredible travel destination. I don't think it's a big Definitely. secret, but it's a wonderful yeah. place to go.
1: Yeah, like the the people like I, I was amazed at the people like they couldn't be nicer. It, they probably there's, I guess Mexico, Mexico has some great people as well. There's, I mean, there's plenty of every country has great people, but I felt like the Thailand, the Thai people couldn't have been friendlier. And I think it might have also had some relation to covid i thought because they're like when we were there they were you could tell like everything was empty so i think any tourists that they could they could have were like they it meant a lot to them i i thought so i think yeah um thai people couldn't be friendlier and then the value for the dollar in thailand is also incredible like you could get it was i remember it was like at a 711 for Two drinks and two in um, two bags of chips was like two bucks. Like that's crazy. It would be probably eight or nine here. So I think, yeah, for Americans, Thailand represents a great value and also great hospitality and cities. And yeah,
0: yeah, and it's a great for travelers of all levels too. From you're talking about the Park Hyatt and there's I think every major brand: Four Seasons, Ritz Carlton, Mandarin Oriental. There's all these really high end five star hotels there. But you can get a really nice room for twenty twenty five bucks at a local place. Maybe not to the the luxury level, but you can get a buy really cheaply. And uh, there's a great sort of network of travelers in Bangkok. A lot of expats and things like that. So you know, it's 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 interesting in that way. But the food is incredible. The people are incredible. The only bad thing about Thailand is the heat and humidity, in my opinion. It's but, still uh, better than Vegas, experience. I
1: guess, during the summer. <laughs> I <laughs> guess, but yeah. You don't, you don't buy into the dry heat thing with Vegas? I I guess it's not. As you said, like, yeah, Thailand, the the heat definitely can be rough. Like, I guess to me, ever since I went to Dubai, Dubai, like, during the summertime, Dubai is just insane. Like, there's, I don't think anywhere in the world can compare to, like, the mixture of, like, 110 degree heat plus 90% humidity. So, I think, yeah, Thailand's definitely better than that. um But I think, yeah, I guess if you're near the ocean, though, too, it definitely makes it a lot better.
0: It does, and there's a lot of beautiful areas and... Thailand is is a great place. Hope to get back there actually this year. Trying to make it work uh, because I just, God, the food, man. Thai food in the U.S. There are a few places that I've had that kind of compare, but most of the Thai food in Vegas just doesn't compare. It's good, are just doesn't Lotus taste the same. Siam? Yeah, I've yeah. eaten there. Okay, before. it's it's pretty good, but it's not the okay. same as getting something on the streets of Bangkok or for you two know, bucks. Like... <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, the other the other thing about the value is I remember when we went there backpacking the first time in 2008 and, you know, just reading about, you know, Thailand's so cheap right now. uh, It's never, it's, it's not going to stay this way. You know, it's going to boom and then it's going to get more expensive. It has boomed and it's as popular as it's ever been, but the price hasn't really changed. The exchange rate has always stayed favorable and things have stayed relatively cheap there, whether it's food or hotels, uh, everything else. So an incredible destination and, I'm excited. This was a great show. I hope to have you back on in future shows so we can, when we're doing more topical stuff, so get your commentary on some of the news and things as we go through it. And, you know, as a reminder to people, you are writing for the site. I know you just submitted a bunch of posts so I got to go through, but yeah, there'll be a lot of your travel lot. stuff coming I'm up. I'm a
1: bit behind, <laughs> mainly because of school. That was my, um, my, that's the one thing, that's the only thing that can limit me is the, is the school part of my life. <laughs> Well,
0: that's the most important thing, as we all know. Yeah, and, you know, it's uh, it's great that your parents allow you to do all of this while you know, obviously keeping you honest on school and making sure you're doing that, but that they allow you to kind of balance it all.
1: Definitely, and I guess I'm fortunate because my like my mom's a like a school counselor, so it's great because we can usually travel during the summertime. Like, I know if she just had like a typical nine to five job, it wouldn't really let us like we would only get two weeks a year to go somewhere, and it would yeah, travel would be a lot more limited. I think.
0: Absolutely. And both your parents are great. I've met both of them. Awesome people. And uh, I'm so glad that they allow you to work with us and be in our ecosystem. And you're a great contributing member in the Diamond Group and in our regular group on Twitter, everything. I thank you for that. What's the best place if people want to reach out to you as far as asking questions? Is it on Twitter at Vegas Teenager? Is there somewhere else they want to learn about your travel agent stuff as well?
1: Yeah, I guess, um, as you said, like Twitter's good. And then also too just, if you have any travel agent inquiries that you want me to help out with, feel free to email me at like, it's travel Um, you could definitely reach out to me there and I'm happy to help with any travel agent related inquiries and yeah, or on the site you could comment.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You can comment on any of John's articles as he writes them. A lot of his travel reviews, a lot of other stuff and hoping to give you a bigger voice here in 2023 as well. And as much as you can do, obviously. School is important, but I'm excited because you have a unique voice, a unique perspective. That's really what Miles to Memories is about, is about bringing unique sort of views. And I don't think there's anyone more unique than you, the teenage phenom of the Miles and Points world. And so grateful that you work with us, but also grateful to have this conversation with you. I learned a lot. I hope people out there learned some interesting stuff. And the only thing I learned is that I procrastinate and that I don't like to make phone calls, and I think that's hurting me, John. I think it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I-, I think this is where I have to do better in 2023.
1: Uh-huh. That's your New Year's resolution, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, every year, and I break it by January 5th, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. But definitely contact John if you're interested. Read his posts on the site. We have a bunch coming up, and you can interact with him on Twitter and elsewhere. Really appreciate you doing that. As a reminder to everybody out there, you can find this podcast at mtmpodcast.com including all the links if you're listening to us on apple Podcasts, we appreciate five-star reviews written reviews even better and all of our stuff our posts podcast videos are at miles to and i'm at miles to memories all over social media so hit me up anywhere that you find us and uh, i'll get back to you so thanks so much for listening thanks john for joining me
1: yeah thanks for having me on and i appreciate the opportunity All right.
0: Talk to you again soon and talk to everybody else. Have a great day. Bye.